Hey everybody, welcome back to 10% True. Just before you get stuck into this episode, I wanted to let you know that in 2024, I'm going to be republishing my book, Red Eagle's America's Secret Megs. That's the story of the 4477th Test Evaluation Squadron and the program Constant Peg that exposed American fighter aircrew to secretly acquired and operated MiGs in the Nevada desert in the 1970s and 1980s. The book's been out of print for a while. It goes for crazy prices online, but I'll be republishing as a softback exclusively through my website, 10percenttrue.com. If you're thinking about supporting the channel, you'd like to buy the book for yourself or even as a gift, please do go and place a pre-order. I'll put a link in the description. All pre-orders are going to be 25% off and I'll make sure I personally inscribe and sign your copy for you. Anyway, I'll let you get back on with enjoying this episode. Take care. Doc Schultz. In September 2017, a classified mishap claimed the life of the Red Hat's commander, Lieutenant Colonel Eric Doc Schultz. Many news outlets carried the story that Schultz had been killed flying a classified type near Area 51. Beyond the fact that the aeroplane belonged to Air Force Material Command, the US Air Force released no other details of the accident and has since responded with no records found to Freedom of Information Act requests for information about the loss. In the weeks that followed the accident, online magazine The War Zone reported an interview by Russian website Radio Moscow that claimed Schultz had been in contact with a Russian test pilot, Magomed Tolbayev. In the interview, Tolbayev made the astonishing claim that he cautioned Schultz against trying to replicate the high-angle-of-attack manoeuvres so characteristic of a flanker airshow performance. Exactly how it is that Tolboyev came to have the conversation with Schultz is not clear, and there's still no proof that it actually took place, but it wouldn't be surprising if it had. Trade shows such as Max, which is where the two apparently met, have a reputation as being spy-fests. In other words, it's well known they're used to openly gather intelligence, with aircrew sometimes doing the bidding of intelligence agencies who loiter in the shadows. Schultz may well have approached Tolboyev under the auspices of one test pilot chatting to another, therefore, and in this context, it would have been perfectly natural for him to casually ask how some of the aerobatic manoeuvres were flown. The Russian, knowing full well that the United States has a long history of foreign military exploitation, would no doubt have seen the conversation for what it was. His response was reported to be, You'll perish. You cannot do what I do. This is the line. With Torboyev's words ringing in ears, and with the scarcity of any other information to go by, many would have inferred that Schultz had exceeded the limitations of whatever he was flying. However, 
I'm told that this could not be further from the truth. In fact, Schultz died as he lived, with integrity and exceptional professionalism. Sources Before I share the story as it's been relayed to me, I want to quickly provide some basic information about sources so that you, the listener, can make an educated decision about the reliability of this podcast. The bulk of what you're about to hear has come from two independent, first-hand sources. That's to say, these individuals were there to witness the mishap and its aftermath. It's taken some months to get as many details as I have, but now that I'm publishing what I know, I can tell you that one source has had the opportunity to comment on my write-up of the mishap, the other has read a high-level summary of it, and both have concurred that it's an accurate reflection of events as they unfolded. In addition, I have several other second-hand sources who have corroborated certain aspects of the narrative. In my narrative, I don't distinguish between which sources have said what. That's by design, and while it may not satisfy purists, it's a necessary step to protect the identity of the people who shared the story. Finally, no good journalist would write a story without questioning the motivation of their sources. That is particularly true when there's personal risk to those who speak up, and that is certainly the case here. What I can tell you is that the answer from both sources was unequivocal. Doc deserves his dues. The Mishap Schultz had not been scheduled to fly the day he died, Tuesday the 5th of September 2017. But the pilot who had been due to fly that fateful sortie, a Su-27UB flanker sea flight with a US Navy VX-9 weapon systems officer in the back seat, had been signed off as DNIF, duties not including flying, for medical reasons. As the Red Hat's commander, Schultz took his place. The 45-minute local area proficiency sortie went well, and according to plan, until the return to base. Configuring for landing, Schultz dropped the gear and checked the indicator lights in the cockpit, only to see two greens and one red. One of the main undercarriage legs was indicating unsafe. Schultz declared an emergency, an action that threw the entire base into lockdown per Area 51 security protocol. Phone lines went dead, access gates were locked, and a Janet flight loaded with workers bound for Las Vegas was instructed to taxi back to the ramp and deplane. As all these wheels spun into motion, Schultz performed two tower flybys and received word that the gear leg in question was down and appeared to be locked. An F-16 chase was hastily launched to offer a closer inspection. In consultation with the F-16, and presumably the supervisor of flying, Schultz decided to try a touch-and-go on one of Area 51's dry lake beds. This manoeuvre may not have been the schoolhouse solution, but it would have allowed him to see whether the gear was actually locked down, and it could have saved an important national asset. Choosing a lake bed would also keep Area 51's main runway clear for the recovery of other assets that were airborne at the time. Schultz gently let down on the lake bed. To those on the airfield, the touchdown made clouds of dust ride into the air, but otherwise looked uneventful. But in the cockpit, things looked much different. Despite a gentle descent to the desert floor, the flanker's unsafe gear leg collapsed on touchdown, and at least part of it was ripped off. In an instant, the 20,000 kilogram jet settled to the ground, dragging a wingtip and yawing so dramatically that the aileron and horizontal stabiliser now also dug into the hardened sand. With the aircraft on the precipice of a cartwheel, Schultz applied full rudder and maximum afterburner, wrestling the crippled jet back into the air. Later, at a piano burning in Schultz's honour, the Wizzo would recall this moment with clarity. 
he saved my life. Now airborne again, with things having gone from bad to worse, Schultz discussed options with his team. He could lead the two remaining gear down and attempt to land once again on the lake bed, but it was evident from the first attempt that the aircraft would dig in, roll and flip. He could raise the gear and attempt a belly landing, or he could perform a controlled ejection. Deciding to belly land, Schultz moved the gear handle up to retract the gear, but nothing happened. Unbeknownst to him, when the unlock gear had been damaged, the rest of the undercarriage system had failed. The nose gear and remaining gear would not retract. At this point, a controlled ejection was the only remaining option, and the flanker was in any case now almost out of gas. Such is the secret nature of assets flying from Area 51. Several bailout areas are designated within its boundary. Which to use depends on the assets level of classification and other factors, but it would have been to one of these that Schultz now pointed the flanker. And, to ensure that the aircraft landed inside the designated area, a reasonably low bailout altitude is required, apparently about 2,000 feet above ground level. Schultz may also have wanted to keep the flanker close to the base to enable rescue forces to reach him and the Wizzo more quickly. The Wizzo ejected first, receiving minor injuries but otherwise surviving without issue. But, tragically, Schultz's bailout sequence failed. His K-36 ejection seat left the aircraft, but man's seat separation never occurred. He was never released from the seat to fall back down to earth under a main parachute, and the seasoned fighter pilot and test pilot remained in the seat all the way to the ground. It's not clear whether he had time to attempt a manual separation from the seat, or even whether the K-36 allows this. In December 2016, an RQ-180 stealth drone flying an operational test and evaluation sortie had crashed within the Area 51 boundary, leaving a scarred desert floor. Now, nine months later, Schultz's flanker hit the floor, tumbled and broke apart not too far from the RQ site. With almost no fuel remaining on board, there would have been little post-impact fire. Area 51's search and rescue helicopter force was launched to recover the two airmen, locating the Wizzo quickly, no doubt thanks to his parachute standing out on the desert floor. But in their search for Schultz, they reportedly mistook the RQ crash site for the flanker. It took them several hours to realise their mistake and to get to the correct site, but Schultz was not in fact recovered until the next morning, when ground vehicles ventured across the rough terrain and located his body. In the months that followed, the Red Hats mourned the loss of their leader, and were keen to lay on some fundraising events that might generate financial support for Schultz's wife and five children. However, there was so much media interest in the high-profile loss that their activities had to remain low-key. A piano burning at the back of Nellis Air Force Base Officers Club appears to have been the sum total of the public commemorations that took place. But three years later, folks from other programmes at the test site created a special Red Hats patch for the unit. A very limited production run meant that the patches helped to raise some funds for the family, and apparently concurrently, a golf tournament was also held, the website for which states that Schultz fought to the end and saved someone's life in the face of insurmountable odds. The Air Force clearly agreed, and has posthumously awarded the Red Hats commander with a distinguished flying cross. I could not find a public record of the medal citation, although an unclassified version of it must surely exist but have been told that it was specifically for getting the Su-27 airborne again after it settled onto the desert floor and almost tumbled. I also understand that the Air Force has found and fixed the fault 
that caused the man-seat separation sequence to fail. Doc Schultz's loss is not extraordinary in the overall history of classified foreign military exploitation, but it is the first mishap that we know of since 1988, and the first flying fatality since 1982. And yet the accident reportedly set the scene for high-level conversations within the Air Force about the future of the Red Hats. I'm told that the unit will now be shut down, and that something else will replace it, but that's a subject for a different episode. <laughs> 